Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Greetings to those who watch below. It's Friday, which means it's time for another stop on our US paranormal road trip. This week we are heading to Connecticut. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B., Jess Black Curtain, Christina Groves, LT Punisher 666, and Chris BLK Chris for being those who dwell below. An exclusive channel membership that gets you shout-outs at the start of every video. Also, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the channel, making sure to check out the notification bell so that you never miss a video. You can also find me narrating videos on the creepypasta.com YouTube page, so definitely make sure you check that out, and also subscribe over there as well. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Waiting for the Bus by Specialized2001 my story takes place three years ago in the town of Bethany, Connecticut. I lived in this town for three years before I moved to upstate New York for college. It is an extremely small rural town with lots of farmland, trails and livestock. Horseback riding is very common. You see people riding every day. I loved living there, even if it was kind of out the way. In high school, I met my girlfriend, who lived three towns over in Milford, Connecticut a 30-minute drive from my small town of Bethany. One night in early autumn, we were over my house for dinner. We sat and watched a movie, and then it was time to take her home. It was about 10.45 at night, and she and I cram into my little Mazda sedan, and we take off. In Bethany, there are no streetlights, so the roads are very dark. We drove about two miles out, and my girlfriend begins to panic, because she left her cell phone over at my place. Frustrated, I decided to turn around and head back to get it. I took a left down a road called Old Mill Road. Across from this road is a large concrete manufacturing plant. The road is about 100 yards long and is a dead end. The gated off trail is at the very end where people would horseback ride. However, about halfway down the road, another road branches off from Old Mill which leads to residential homes. It is pitch black out, and I drove slowly with my high beams on. Our car starts to approach the end of the road, when we see two people standing near the gate. I switched to low beams, as I didn't want to blind them. My girlfriend said something like, Huh, what are they doing? I started to make a K-turn to turn around. I put the car in reverse, turning on the white reverse lights. As I back up, my girlfriend said, Watch out for those people. I looked out my rear window to see the two people. It was a man and a little girl, maybe about seven years old. He was wearing jeans and an orange shirt. His skin was darker, possibly Hispanic. He was holding hands with a young girl, who wore a pink shirt and had on a small pink backpack. 
It looked as if they were waiting for the school bus, but it was 11pm at night. I then said, they better move out the way, I gotta back up. It was a narrow road. I backed up toward them until they were only feet away from my rear bumper. They never even moved. Most parents who see a car backing up toward their child would have shuffled them out of the way. They just stood there. My girlfriend, who babysat, said, Geez, way to protect your kid. Almost backed into him. I sat back in my seat and glanced in my rearview mirror to see the man and the girl illuminated by my reverse lights. They didn't have faces. From their shoulders up was fuzzy and transparent with just the outline of their heads. I could see straight through to the forest behind them and then I got an awful feeling of horror mixed with dread and sadness. I just stared at them. I put the car in drive and slowly pulled away, watching them disappear into the darkness. I didn't say a word. In my mind I was panicking. What did I just see? My girlfriend then said, That was so weird. What was he doing out there with his daughter at this hour with no flashlight? That was so dangerous. I then said as calmly as I could manage, Baby, they didn't have faces. I was almost in tears. I never had an experience like this before. Then she started saying that I was scaring her and she didn't know what I was talking about. I then pieced it all together. A man and a little girl waiting for the bus at 11 o'clock at night. It's pitch black out. We almost backed into them and they didn't move out of the way. And to top it off, they had nothing from the shoulders up. They were ghosts. Like I said, I never had an experience like that. You say to yourself that it is just a ghost. I am a strong 18-year-old with quite big muscles. I am not afraid of anything. But I will admit, I was scared. Hannah Cranner When she was alive, Hannah Cranner was known as the Wicked Witch of Monroe, a reputation that continues to follow her, over 150 years after her death. Unlike other supposed witches, the story of Hannah Hovey, who apparently picked up the nickname Hannah Cranor while she was still alive, didn't culminate at the end of a hangman's noose, or in ashes around a stake. She lived a fairly comfortable life on her property, near Cutler's Farm Road in Monroe, dying of natural causes at the age of 77. But obviously, her life wasn't exactly ordinary, or she wouldn't have been known to this day for allegedly dabbling in the black arts. According to most accounts, her reputation as a witch didn't begin until the demise of her husband, the good captain Joseph Hovey, an event with which Hannah was rumoured to have been involved. The tale goes that one night Captain Hovey went out for a simple walk and somehow toppled over a cliff, resulting in his untimely demise. Not believing that Captain Hovey could have been the victim of such an unfortunate accident, whispers started that Hannah had somehow bewitched him, causing him to become so dazed and confused that he inadvertently fell to his death. Hannah, whose shrewish behaviour apparently hadn't exactly endeared her to others while Captain Hovey was alive, became even more loathsome after she became a widow. She often insisted that her neighbours give her free food and firewood, and if they didn't immediately comply, she relied on her witchy reputation to threaten them. 
When one local farmer's wife allegedly tried to deny her a fresh-baked pie, Hannah cursed her, and, so the story goes, the poor woman was never able to bake again. Another story tells of how after catching a man fishing for trout in a brook on her property without her permission, Hannah laid a curse on him, and he never caught another fish again. Over the years, other such incidents demonstrating her otherworldly prowess supposedly occurred, solidifying her infamy and power over the locals. From her house on Craig Hill, which was allegedly guarded by snakes, she helped those who venerated her and poured down misery on those who crossed her. Ultimately, it was her death and the odd events surrounding her burial that truly cemented her legend. It seems that Hannah kept a rooster named Old Boreas, which some suspected was her familiar. Shortly after the cock crowed its last, Hannah told a neighbour that her end was also near. My coffin must be buried by hand to the graveyard, she instructed, and I must not be buried before sundown. Hannah Craner died the next day. As it was snowing heavily, the locals decided that rather than follow her instructions, it would be easier to pull her casket across the snow on a sled. But as the procession started toward the cemetery, the coffin came off the sled and slid all the way back to her front door. They tried again, but met with more trouble. Rather than further incurring the supernatural wrath of Hannah, they decided to just carry her to the graveyard. After much struggling, they eventually got the old witch in her grave, just after sunset. Happy to be finally rid of her, they returned to Hannah's home, only to discover it completely engulfed in flames. Obviously, that only served to burn Hannah Craner, the Wicked Witch of Monroe, into their minds forever. Like with any good legends, there are st- like with any good legend, there are stories that still revolve around Hannah today. The most popular of which is that from time to time, the spectre of a mysterious woman will suddenly appear in the middle of Spring Hill Road, causing an unfortunate driver to swerve, lose control of his car, and eventually his life, as he crashes into the gravestone of Hannah Craner. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Scariest Sound I've Heard by Elefante81 I am originally from Connecticut and only have a few friends there that I still visit. One in particular, Steve and I, make a point to hang out whenever I come home to go on what we call our ghost rides. 
We are both very interested in anything paranormal, and it seems something creepy always ends up happening when we're together. This was the scariest. To back up this story, I have to tell part of the story of the house on Lindley Street in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Anyone who has grown up in the area knows about it. Apparently, a few decades ago, the house was possessed by an evil entity. The stories about the house were quite eccentric and included levitating objects, talking animals, and the possession of the family's daughter. This story in particular received more attention because one, the Warrens investigated it, and two, respected police chiefs and fire chiefs were quoted in the paper about the horrendous things they experienced. Like the Amityville house, many believed it to be a hoax, but regardless, the story stuck. Lindley Street is like any other street with old small houses lining it, except now an apartment building stands in place of this particular old house. Steve and his mother were accustomed to the paranormal. Steve grew up in a very haunted house and has seen full-bodied apparitions and dark shadows. His mother has also experienced everything paranormal and told us a story of her experience on Lindley Street in Bridgeport. She had gone to a party with Steve's dad when she was younger and the party was about a block from the infamous house on Lindley Street. This was obviously before it was torn down. Steve's mother, Steve's dad and a friend walked the street and Steve's mother claims that as they passed the house, the door was wide open. She was shocked as it was October-November time and quite cold out, not to mention that no one lived there anymore. She claims to have seen two red eyes in the doorframe and became quite frightened. The two men passed it off to anything they possibly could. Ultimately, they decided it was a prank when the door slammed shut. It startled her, and she never did believe them that it was a prank or reflecting lights, or whatever. I was home one weekend, and Steve and I left a friend's house to go on a ghost ride. This usually entailed us driving around sharing scary stories. We were on a dark road, and he was telling me about his mother's encounter on Lindley Street. I was getting spooked, and for his finale, he decided to phone his mother, put her on speakerphone, and have her tell us the story herself. He did, and she told the story just as Steve had said, and just as I stated before. She began telling us the history of the house when the family had lived there, when all of a sudden, the entire car shook with such a loud, deep yell or groan. It's impossible to explain without anyone actually hearing it, but tears formed in my eyes. I'm usually pretty sceptical when it comes to stories like these, but this sound was truly evil and truly terrifying. It was as if it was everywhere at once, outside and inside the car, in our ears, in our heads, everywhere. And then, just like that, it stopped. Steve was silent as his mother continued speaking. In a shaky voice, he told her he needed to call her back. He pulled over, and we just looked at each other. We had both heard it, but couldn't explain it. It was the middle of the night, and although we tried to put a familiar noise to what it could have been, we simply couldn't. We called his mum back to explain what happened, when she gave us the old, when you speak or think about something enough, it eventually comes to you. 
we decided not to speak about it again. Of course, no one believed us, or could fully understand the impact it had. I'm still unsure as to what it was, or if it was the cause of us dabbling in the paranormal too much or too often. But regardless, it still gives me chills just thinking about it. Captain Grant's Inn In Preston sits Captain Grant's Inn, a rustic bed and breakfast that for over two centuries has succeeded both as a temporary refuge for travellers and a permanent home to spirits. In 1754, Captain William Grant built a suitable home in Poquitanuk Village for his beloved wife Mercy and their children. Even though Captain Grant later died at sea, the abode served the family well. Mercy lived there well into her 80s, followed by three generations of Grants. According to the Inn's website, during the Revolutionary War, soldiers of the Continental Army were garrisoned there. During the Civil War, escaped slaves were sheltered there. The house underwent a significant renovation in the mid-1990s, and now features numerous named rooms, six working fireplaces, and a three-storey porch. Paquetanuk's first cemetery is also located behind the inn. Apparently, one room in particular, the Adelaide Room, is a hotspot for paranormal activity. One guest claims to have awakened in the middle of the night, to see next to her bed a woman dressed in colonial-era garb, holding hands with two children. There have also been claims of the TV turning itself on and off, as well as the shower curtain being knocked down without provocation. Some visitors have reported hearing random knockings and seeing unusual shapes. One guest described the sensation of having her face caressed by invisible hands. Another told of the shade of a young child passing through them. Paranormal investigators have also allegedly recorded EVPs here, including the voice of a young girl. Phantom footsteps have been heard in the attic. The owners of the inn have described their supposed spirits as protective ones, and have only reported positive, if eerie, experiences. Captain Grant's is listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and has been featured on Home and Garden TV and in Yankee Magazine, as well as being listed as a haunted inn by CNN and USA Today. It has also been in an episode of A&E's Psychic Kids, Children of the Paranormal, and Portals to Hell, featuring paranormal investigators Jack Osborne and Katrina Weidman. The Haunting in Connecticut This story begins with Carmen and Alan Snedeker, their three sons, their daughter, and two nieces, moving into a home in Southington, Connecticut. The eldest Snedeker son was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and the family made the choice to move to Connecticut to be closer to his doctors to save money. What they weren't initially aware of was that the home they had rented was once a funeral parlour, with the tools and bloody furniture still in a room in the basement. Despite discovering this horrifying and morose addition to the home, the Snedekers moved into the house regardless. Many people believe they chose to stay because of financial reasons. It was just cheaper to stay in the funeral parlour home than to find a new home to accommodate all of them 
at a reasonable price. Strange happenings at the house started off fairly innocently, with the mother noticing items around the house going missing. Then the children started to talk about seeing strange people in their home, more specifically, a man with long black hair. Then the eldest son had a drastic personality change that included violent outbursts. He attacked family members out of nowhere and didn't seem like himself. Doctors diagnosed him with schizophrenia, but the family was not convinced. They believed that the strange and terrifying behaviour was the result of the environment and the ghosts in the home. Probably the strangest incident that the family reported was when the parents claimed that they had been sexually abused by something in the home. Like I've said, the family stayed at this home regardless for more than two years, and people made the assumption that their stories were all made up because they didn't understand why they would stay at the home where they experienced such terrible things. When things didn't get better in the home, the family invited a pair of paranormal investigators to assist in ridding their home of the evil inside it. You can all have a gold star if you can guess who that pair is. That's right, Ed and Lorraine Warren. They were a controversial pair of self-taught investigators based out of Connecticut. Ed was a demonologist, lecturer and author, while Lorraine was the clairvoyant and medium. Ed and Lorraine joined the haunting in Connecticut investigation by spending weeks in the home to get the full demonic experience. After their investigation, they declared that the morticians that worked in the home when it was a funeral parlour practiced necromancy and had infused the home with a dark, deep evil. The Warrens performed an exorcism on the home to rid it of the evil that it contained and make it safe for the family to return. Many individuals who knew the story of the Sinodeca family were sceptical about what really happened inside. Firstly, the owners of the home refuted the story entirely, stating that the home had never been a funeral parlour or plagued by evil spirits. This debunk is easy to dismiss, because why would the owners of a rental property approve of a story that made their home unappealing to future renters? However, years later, Ray Garten, an author, was interviewing Ed and Lorraine Warren and the Snedeka family while in the process of writing his book, In a Dark Place, when he noticed that the family's stories about the haunting were not lining up. When he went to Ed with the problem, Ed apparently said to him, Oh, they're crazy. You've got some of the story. Just use what works and make the rest up. Just make it up and make it scary. It does seem strange that Ed would tell this individual to make up aspects of the incident rather than attempting to straighten out the story. However, this is something that Ed and Lorraine Warren are famous for when it comes to their cases. Regardless of the attempts to debunk this story, many people still believe what happened to the Snedeka family was very real. Whether you choose to believe what happened to them or not, we can all agree that the haunting in Connecticut is a terrifying chapter in the history of this state. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel. Also, let me know in the comments section which state you'd like to see me cover next. I also have a playlist of all the states that have been done so far. 
So, until next time, sleep tight.